Welcome to Fusion Student Ministries. We hope this message equips and encourages you. Christ is on His throne. There's a multitude standing before Him. They have confessed Him before man, but their lifestyle is complete darkness. They have ministered in His name, but their fruitless life is marked by disobedience. And then now, all that was hidden is now exposed. And those words come, I never knew you. Why is that so important? There's two characteristics that need to be seen here. Number one, Christ never knew them. This means intimacy. It's saying that Christ never knew you intimately. You were never in relationship. Many people say that they know, like they know the president. You know, oh, I know the president. I voted for the president. I didn't vote for the president. Whatever, but they, they know him. But the question is, if you were to drive onto the lawn of the White House, does he know you? Would he let you in? See, a lot of people think they know Jesus. But the question is, does Jesus know you? That's a very important question. The second characteristic is those who practice lawlessness. This means to walk around in a lifestyle of ungodliness. It doesn't mean that, that you know, you sin and then you can never sin again. No, we sin, but we have grace. But do you practice? Do you walk around in darkness? What areas of your life have you, have you bought into the lie that Satan says it's okay to do that? And you've accepted it and you, you, maybe you've said something like, God's just going to have to accept this. Well, God will not accept that. That's walking around in a lifestyle of darkness. So I'm here to tell you tonight, God has given you the light of Jesus Christ. He has given you his direction through his word. He's given you his power through the Holy Spirit to draw you out of the darkness. One of the greatest tools that the Holy Spirit gives us is conviction. If you do not feel convicted about some of the things that you do in your own personal life, that's a problem. That means your heart is becoming hardened and then you, you no longer can, can receive the things of God. That's, some, that's a time when you take an internal look and say, Lord, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I know that you're not pleased with it, but yet I don't feel convicted. That's a bad sign. What you do during that time is say, Lord, I want to feel how you feel about sin. I want to see this the way you see it. Help me to view it the way you do. And then God will begin to mold his ways into you. He'll begin to change you. I mean, conviction is such a powerful tool, but it's evidence that we are his. Now think of this. He says, if you love me in John 14, 15, keep my commandments. That does not mean the Ten Commandments, okay? The word here is means his precepts, means his word. If you love God, you apply his word to your life. If we're following the Spirit, we are considered to be law keepers, okay? When Jesus Christ died on Calvary, what happens is we've taken our sin, we've placed it upon Jesus, God has taken it, and he's judged it, and he has given us his righteousness, where now we can walk in his ways. God has given us that ability. He has given us that power. And he's also given us the fruit of that. In Galatians 5, through 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such thing there is no law. So are th- the question I want to ask you, are these things operating in your life? 
This is, this is once again an evidence that God is moving in your life. You may not have these down pat. You may not be walking in the fullness of it, but you're aiming in that direction. You're walking towards that. God will show you something and you act upon it. That is the way you begin to be molded and made like Christ. Okay? Now, when we keep going in Psalms 11, I mean Psalms 119, 9 through 16, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? This is a good question. We may ask ourselves this by guarding it according to your word with my whole heart. I seek you. Let not me wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. So remember, some of us don't even read our Bibles. So therefore, we don't know what God expects. But the more that you read the Bible, the more God will be, begin to show you what he requires of us. And the more that you see, the more you can apply and the more that you will grow in the knowledge of him. And listen, some people and when I was a youth, I had no desire for this. But here's the difference. I knew I was lost deep down on the inside. Many nights I would take drugs I would drive and I would drink, knowing if I got in a car wreck, I would die and go to hell. And I knew that and yet still did it. That is demented. Think about it, really. See, the problem is we don't think of that. We don't think of the consequences. And I can tell you, I know I didn't. But what was wrong? My heart was so hardened and I had just enough of religion to ease my conscience, and I had just as much of me to do what I wanted to do. But you see, God's word is not a rain on our, on our parade, but it's a rainbow in the midst of the storm. Here's the deal. God's word is lampooned, laughed at, and hated because it forbids wicked man from doing what he wants to do. So therefore, it's pointed at, it's laughed at, it's mocked, but one day, the conscience will be resurrected. And you see, and I, and I could have sat under a message like this and been like, okay, I get it. And if you can sit here and think that way, you're in grave danger, just like I was. So I want to keep going. Point number four, the great rejection. In Psalm 6, 7 through 10, it says, My eye wasted away because of my grief. It grows old because of my enemies. Depart from me all who work iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back suddenly. There's three truths here. When you look at King David, the life of King David, everybody know who King David is? From the Old Testament. He is what they called a type of Christ, which means things that he did, Christ ended up doing. He was, he was a prophetic picture of who Jesus was. Now, th- now when you look at this, this, these verses of Scripture, he's giving you a picture of what it'll be like on the day of judgment. Now remember, in Romans 1, 30-32, this is what he says mankind is. They're slanders, haters of God, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, although they know the ordinance of God, they who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but give hearty approval to them that practice them. 
So this is how mankind comes out of the womb. He comes out of the womb, and the Bible says that we have original sin. We must be born again. Now, this is where we get confused because we think it's a one-sided deal. We think that we're walking this earth and that we're enemies with God. You know, that we walk this earth and that we're going to do what we want to do and we're angry and we're mad. But this is a two-sided war. And that's something that we don't understand because the, the attributes of God. God is love. God is mercy. But He is also hates sin. And we need to understand that. Romans 8, 7 says, Because the mind is set on the flesh, is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. That means somebody who doesn't have Jesus, when you bring up the gospel, you bring up you know, the, the goodness of God, you bring up God's word, you bring up any of these things, they don't want to hear it, they hate it, they, they want to get away from it, they want to find excuses not to do it, because that's on the inside of their nature. But remember, this is not a one-sided deal. In Isaiah 63.10, it says, But they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. Therefore, He turned Himself to become their enemy, and He fought against them. Now, you don't want God fighting against you. Right? Definitely not. We want to be on the team with God. But our sin separates us from God. But even so, God sent Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, He died for us. That means while I was still taking drugs and drinking and doing all of these perverse things, He still loved me. He still sent Jesus for me. He still wanted to rescue me, but He did not like my sin. Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. So, but see, here's the thing. When we reject his offer, all you have left is what? The broad road. All you have left is wrath. The Bible says that God wished that no man should perish, but that all would come to the salvation. God has done everything he possibly can do. Mankind needs to drop his weapon and surrender his flag. That's, that, that's what man needs to do. For Hebrews 10, 26 through 27, For if we go on sinning, listen to this verse, it's very, very powerful. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire will consume the adversaries. Think of that verse. That, if you think about that verse, if we trample the blood, now it's not saying if, if you get saved and then you sin after that. If you, if you give your life to the Lord and then you walk out and trample the blood, don't care, turn your back on God, walk away from God, all of these things, and die in that state, it's saying how can you receive the goodness of God when you've trampled the blood of Jesus? So the Bible is not silent on where we need to be with Him. Hebrews 10.29 says, How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For he says, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay. The Lord will judge his people, and it's a terrifying thing to, to fall in the hands of an angry God. Why would he say that? Because... 
we are either his or we're not. Jesus, in fact, looked at the Pharisees and said that you are of your father, the devil. See, we're not all God's children. We're his created being. But he wants us to be his children. That's why he sent Jesus. Now, the second part of this is they were sent away in great shame. In verse 10, it tells us that. But here's the thing. When you look at that verse, they were sent away in shame and confusion is what it means. It means they walked away saying, I don't understand what just happened. I thought that I was his. They have entered into the throne room with confidence, only to be found blind, wretched, and miserably poor, as it says in the book of Revelation. Now, it says at the end of that verse, those were sent away. And it says in the the end of the verse that we just read, uh, let me go back to it. The last verse, in verse 10 of Psalms chapter 6, it says, Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. So I want you to see the, the intensity of the moment, that it was a sudden, swift destruction. I don't know about you, but this is very sobering. This is very sobering to me. And you know, as a minister of the gospel, God forbid that, I, that we lead you blind to the slaughter. God forbid that, that we not warn people of the things that are coming. The Bible says in Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Reverence. It means, okay, it's not that I, I prayed a prayer. You know, you come up to the altar, we pray a prayer. Go home and say, God, search me. I want to know you. Help me. I want a relationship with you. Work it out. That's what it means. Let, let God get junk out of you. But you got to make a commitment to say that I'm going to follow you in all of your ways. Now, point number five, the outcome of the great rejection. We must understand this about Jesus. He's been patient long-suffering, wishing that no man should perish. That's a, that's a biblical fact, and we're going to talk about that. But really, the outcome is depart from me, which means depart from his presence. In Isaiah 65, 1 and 3, it says, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. That's talking about Gentiles. That's talking about us. He's saying, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am. Here I am. Remember, he repeated it twice. It was emphatic. The Lord saying, here I am. Here I am. The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. It says, I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts, people who continually provoke me to my face. I did that. I know what that's like. Jesus was saying, Kelly, come to me. And I would say, no, God, I'm doing this. I want to do this. And I would do the most. I would sit in in concert after concert, which were nothing more than satanic worship services. I would actually sit in these things during some of these bands. And I was provoking God to his face because I knew the truth. But yet I would still go sit in there. There was one time I was in a concert and Marilyn Manson. I don't know if you know who that is anymore, but in my day he was. Okay, I I was standing next to him in the chip line before he got big. (laughs) It's like I was in the presence with these types of people. 
that hate God, that openly blaspheme, that curse his name. These are the type of concerts I would go to. So I know what it's like to provoke God to his face. But God was still long suffering. He was still patient. He was still reaching out to me when I was not seeking him. You see, that's how that verse comes alive in my life. But you have to understand, for such a great offer, there must be a great consequence. For Jesus to die on the cross, no one is going to get into heaven saying, oh, I don't need that. For that great consequence came a great blessing. But if we deny that great blessing, all there is is great consequence. Now, if you look at, at the, we continue looking at the verses, false converts are commanded to deport his presence. To the saved, his presence is everything. But to the, to, to the, to, to the saved, his, his presence is everything, and to be without him is unbearable. You know, when you see all the suffering that people go through, you see people in the hospital, you see people dying, I don't know how they make it without God. I don't know how you go through a trial, through a circumstance. You know, if I going through six miscarriages with the with the knowledge of never having a little one of of my own, I can't make it without the Lord. But one day when the trump sounds, I will stand face to face with the little juniors and juniorettes. That's hope that Jesus Christ gives us in the midst of our trials. But if we're away from him, I would never see them one day. Now think of that. So the blessing is still available as long as you keep continually walking. See, the problem is not that people don't believe in hell. People believe in hell, right? We all, we all believe in hell. The problem is people don't think they're going there. That's the problem. It's not, people will tell you, oh, I believe in hell. But they don't think they're going there. They're walking this earth thinking that I'm going to make it. But the issue is, it's there, and if we don't have the, have the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the eternity. Hell is a place that God created for the devil and his fallen angels, and when we deny him, we go to where they are. Now, the sixth point, four people that are identified in Matthew 7, and this is where we're going to be winding down at. The first group are those who live their life on the broad way. In Matthew 7, 13, we read it a while ago, broad is the way, and many will find it. That means they, they will go into destruction. But, but he says, enter in through the narrow gate and the narrow way. And the Bible says, few will find it. So that means the people on the broad way, their thinking and their conduct is not lived in God's will. They are shaped by the opinions of the fallen world. They, ad- they have adapted their surroundings. And their issue of what's right and what's wrong is based on society. Now think of that. Let me ask you this. Do you get your philosophies and ideas from the things of the world? Or do you get them from the Bible? You know, now if you think about this. They, these people were much like me. You know, I, had, I think I had a Christian t-shirt. It wasn't like Carmen or nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> Go Carmen. But uh, I, I think I did have a Christian t-shirt. Uh, you know, I, I, I liked the music at the time, but I still liked the other stuff. You know, so there was that battle on the inside of me, but the deal was, it was I was unconverted. 
You understand that? I had the head knowledge. I knew who Jesus was. That's why Matthew chapter 7 speaks to me because I know what that is like. Now, the second group is those that bear no fruit in repentance and works. That was also me. Pray to prayer, but my life did not bear fruit of repentance or, or good works. They confess the Lord Jesus Christ, but his character is far from him. Matthew 3, 8, it says in the, in, in, there's a translation called Bible in basic English, and I thought it was, it was good for this message. It says, let your change of heart be seen in your works. That means let what is on the inside of you come out in, in your daily dealings. Now, as we're going through this, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, I'm trusting that the Lord is bringing this to your mind, that you're looking at your own life, that you're looking at yourself, and you're seeing where you are. Matthew seven nineteen through 20. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. Listen, this cannot be explained away or minimized. You know, we look at verses in the Scripture and we say, man, I'm not reading that, I'm not applying that, but they're there for our benefit. They're there that we can see, okay, where am I with God? You know, if I were to ask you, if you walked out of these doors and got hit by a car, do you know where you would go? And the, the issue is, if you have a question, you know where you would go. But if you can say, no, I'm serving the Lord, I'm living a life that, that the Lord would be pleased, then you can have, hold your head up high and be assured that when eternity calls, you will be on the streets of gold. The third group of people are those that are marked not marked with the obedience of God's will. In Matthew seven twenty one, he says, Only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, obedience does not bring salvation, but it's the fruit of it. Let me ask you this. Are you bearing fruit of, of obedience? You know how we, we get into sin and we, and we struggle? You know what I, I've really learned? Take yourself out of it. Lord, I know this is wrong and I know this is right. We take our choice and then we make a decision. Take self out of it and say, the Lord wouldn't want me to do that. I blame it on the Lord. <laughs> I give him. Okay, God, you said I can't do it. And I'm not saying that works every time, but that's the thought process that we should have. We should try to say, okay, I'm not going to work on what I want. I'm going to lay my life down. The Bible says we need to lay our lives down and pick up Christ, which means we switch from being a master. The sin is our master to having a master of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have a good master. The fourth group of people are those who do not act upon his word. This is all out of Matthew chapter 7. In verse 26, it says, Whoever hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. Now, those that are born again grow in the things of God. They grow in obedience. You should long to please the Lord. They don't find themselves ashamed, you know, of the gospel. I know sometimes it can be very rough. It could be, you know, I know what it's like for the peer pressure. I, you know, believe me, I know. And I know what it's like to say, oh, I don't want to say that I believe in the Lord because I don't want to look like a Jesus freak. And, you know, I know all that. You know, I, believe me, I'm, I, I'm, I'm 36, okay? Y'all are like, you know, 8, 17, 15, you know. I feel like I'm like maybe 10 years older than y'all. So I just want you to understand, I'm not some old fuddy-duddy that doesn't understand where you're at. I promise you, I understand where you're at. Now, in Matthew 13, 14 through 15, and wrapping this up, 
Is this you? Okay? You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing and will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear. They have eyes that have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return so I should heal them. Listen, a lot of churches are filled with Matthew chapter 7. I was in that. I understand. It's not the fact that you pray a prayer at the altar. And here's the thing with Christians sometimes. They want, it's like the Bible said, the Jewish people, they said, peace, peace. Prophesy to us peace. Give me smooth things. The Bible says that there will be people that want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. Believe me, I know that this is not something that we want to hear. But this is, this is the bare bones as the gospel. And one day I'm going to stand before God and he's going to, the Bible says that ministers of the gospel will get a stricter judgment, which means God will hold me personally accountable and I have to make sure that I have preached the entire truth of the gospel. And it, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And this may seem ugly, but this is the beautiful part. That Jesus Christ has come to save us. That Jesus Christ has made a way. That's why I like the end of that verse in Matthew thirteen fifteen: Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart in return, so I should heal them. Many people sit in church and they hear with their ears. They hear, they hear the gospel. I know what you're going to say. You, you, I know that verse. And they hear and hear and hear. And they do not get moved to action. God is saying, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. If you can sit here and, and hear the message and say, okay, no big deal. You're hearing with your ears, but you're not, you're not having the ears to hear and eyes to see. I pray tonight that you have eyes to see and ears to hear. Because the Bible says, and I should heal them. Heal what? That hard heart that religion has caused, that being in church forever has caused. You know, some people grew up in church, and I know you've, you've seen it all, you've heard it all. You know, I understand that. But when, the, when the, the last shot is fired and the dust settles, we must stand before God. And it will either be the most pleasant experience that I could ever explain to you, or it would be the most horrifying experience that you ever will hear of. Now, how do we do this? Number one, get on the narrow road. Many of you or some of you may be on the broad road that leads to destruction. Call out to the Lord. Ask him to save you. Ask him to redeem you. You will get on the narrow road. Salvation is not only acknowledging him as Jesus, as Lord, but it's also acknowledging ourselves as a sinner. It's acknowledging the fact that we need a savior. Once we do that, we come to him. The evidence that this is real, you live a life of repentance and faith. That's how you know. Listen, I'm telling you, had I known this, I would go to the altar, pray a prayer. The preacher would shake my hand and say, congratulations, you made the greatest decision you've ever will make in your life. This would be a Wednesday night, Friday night. I was doing drugs. I was doing all that. I was living contrary. But in my mind. I was saved because I prayed a prayer. But the evidence is that you live a life of repentance. There came a time in October of 1999. The minister was preaching. I was so sick of the way that I was living. 
I said, you know what, God, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep going back and forth. I, I don't, I don't want to die. I don't want to spend eternity away from you. I went to the altar. I prayed a simple prayer, and God rocked my world and changed me. He regenerated me. That was the evidence. I no longer ran to the sin that I once drank down like water. Now it made me sick. I, I, I felt differently. I saw it differently. And I knew that God was working salvation and holiness and repentance in my life. And then after that, the Bible says, and uh, the point number three is you begin to walk in the light of Jesus Christ. You begin to learn his ways. You walk out of darkness into light and you want the things of God. You want to be around the people of God. Listen, I didn't want to be around Christians. They made me sick. Honestly, I was aggravated with them. I told God one time, if these people are going to heaven, hell ain't going to be that bad. That's just what I thought, because, you know, the hypocrite thing, you know, I always said that, but it was just my way of, you know, making myself feel better. But then I became a Christian and I realized how hard it is to not be a hypocrite about things, because, you know, here's the deal. You read the Bible and you want to apply it, but you find yourself not. But the issue is we should hate that. We should hate not living what the word says. Some people was like, oh, it's no big deal. And we just walk our own way. But we should hate when we step outside of God's will. But that only comes when God begins to work his ways on the inside of us. And number four, you will be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, you will run to, to, to repent. You will run to forgive. You will live a life of trying to please the Lord in thought, word, and deed. Now, can we stand? We're going to have an altar call. Now, in looking at these verses tonight, we kind of did a lot of verses, and I appreciate you being patient with the amount of verses that we went through. But I was just trying to help you do what the Bible says, to make sure that your calling and election is sure. That means make sure that you are walking in the light of Jesus Christ. Listen, us that are Christians that are serving God, we should never take our salvation for granted. Salvation should never be old. When we understand what we have the privilege of escaping and the privilege of embracing, that should spawn us every single day to wake up with gratitude, to be happy, to rush to read His Word, to rush to hear more about God, to come to church, not to ease the conscience of the sin that we're in, but to, to grow more and more. You know, some people, they come to church because they just live such a horrible lifestyle. They need to ease and subdue the conscience. That's why going to church doesn't mean that you're saved. Because some people go for the motive of, I live such a horrible week, I need a break and need to feel good about myself. But we have to lay ourselves down. Now to know this, maybe you can say that I don't know Jesus at all. Maybe you can say I've never come to know Him. We're going to have an altar call. And I want you to come up and we want to pray with you. Because I want to lead you in a prayer that will begin the journey of your new walk. And there's, you know, there may be some people here that absolutely 100% know that they are not right with God. They know it inside their conscience is bearing witness. The Holy Spirit has told them your heart is beating fast. And, and you're saying, God, you're talking to me. I know what that's like. There were times when beads of sweat would be coming down my face because I knew God was, was, was telling me. I remember gripping the pew, saying, man, 
I need to get this right, but I, but I just refused to because in the inside, I still wanted what I wanted. I know what it is to, to walk out of a church service, be on fire, only to get into a group of friends and totally be extinguished and become like them again. Now listen, we're going to open the altars up. I'd like to have some altar workers if possible. Listen, I don't want to belabor the point. You know, I don't, I don't like lengthy altar calls where we beg and plead. And let me see your hand. You know, I, 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 I don't want to do that tonight. Tonight, I just want you to simply come if you're ready to get right with God. And believe me, I know what that's like too, to come and to cry and to be upset. But I'm talking about maybe you know you're not where you need to be. And maybe you know that you want to know him for the first time. I want to be able to pray with you and I want to be able to talk with you and so do the altar workers. So if you have anything in your life that's going on, if you can say, I heard this message, I'm stirred on the inside, I want to make a fresh commitment, I want you to come up as we're closing the service and we want to pray with you, we want to talk with you. I want to see what's going on in your life. I want, I want to spend some time with you. I want to see, man, what's the deal? What's the hang up, okay? So as we close, let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time tonight. Lord, I ask that you would minister to your people during this altar call. God, I ask that you would move upon those that need to be moved upon. Father, I pray that you would comfort those that need to be comfort, comforted. Lord, I pray that you would encourage those that are on, their, on the right path, that are walking with you. Father, I thank you for that grace. I thank you for that privilege. And I just ask that you would continually be with them and grow them in your ways. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask. Amen. Thank you for having me tonight. Again, thanks for joining us. For more info on Fusion, you can check us out on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram.